Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. But I can feel the change in the wind right now. Nothing's in my way. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Bioindividualized Medicine Center here in Southeast Pennsylvania. And I absolutely adore that opening music because, in my opinion, everyone who suffers from a chronic illness and suffers silently, and maybe not so silently, and letting everybody know that what's going on, has faith of the heart. And they have the faith to believe that something can be done and strength of the soul because, let's face it, people, this is not for the weak-hearted. So no one's going to bend or break you, I promise. Anyway, tonight we are going to speak about the immune system. Now, hopefully everybody has gotten the PDF. Okay, if you haven't gotten the PDF, okay, I am, um, whoops, wrong one. Okay, um, it is... I'm putting it on the chat room right now, and if you go to Dr. Jess Armine on Facebook, okay, you'll see the link to get the PDF. And uh, I suggest that you get your hands on it because I have promised to make this fairly complex subject funny, if I can, okay? So bear with me tonight (laughs) because I spent a lot of time on this, and um, I would like it to, um, to be free of too many complex um, phrases and so forth. So, uh, the importance of the immune system. Uh, Way back in the 70s, okay, there was a phrase called psychoneuroimmunology, okay, and that's when um, the uh, medical doctors, the real doctors, started realizing that there was an interaction between psychological processes and the nervous and immune systems of the human body. Uh, soon after that, that's on page two, and I've got a, uh, a reference there in case anybody wants to uh, read it. But uh, they finally said, hey, look, you know, maybe there is um, interrelationships that, you know, the immune system and the um, neurological system and the endocrine systems weren't separate systems, okay? And maybe they interacted with one another one way or another. And this study was done on... Um, stress reduction to prevent uh, cancer recurrence. And that's one of, the, uh, one of the ways they started looking at it. And we've been talking a lot 
lately about the interaction of the neurological system. We did a whole show on that and on mood uh, disorders and, and neurotransmitters. And um, Sean Bean uh, did two shows on um, the endocrine system, okay, or hormones. And um, today we're going to be talking about the immunological system. And uh, you have to realize something, and this was uh, first promulgated by the Neuroscience Corporation, that the neurological, immunological, and endocrinological, say that five times fast, okay, systems actually talk with one another, okay? And how do they do that? Well, to get slightly technical, you know that the nerves put out neurotransmitters, and a neurotransmitter can be considered a biomarker. Biomarker is something you can measure. Okay, the endocrine system puts out hormones. Okay, again, we can measure hormones. I'm sure many people have gotten their hormones measured. And the immune system puts out cytokines. And in a little while, I'll explain what a cytokine is. But for right now, okay, think of it as a biomarker, something that can be measured that's specific for the immune system. Well, it makes sense that the nerves have receptors for neurotransmitters, but what most people don't realize is that they also have, re the nerves have receptors for hormones and cytokines, and the endocrine system, the organs, have receptors for hormones, and they have receptors for neurotransmitters, and they have receptors for cytokines. The immune system, as you might be guessing at the moment, has receptors not only for cytokines, but for neurotransmitters and, endocrine, and the hormones from the endocrine system. So really, if you go to page four, and this again comes from the Neuroscience Corporation, okay, the neuroendoimmune systems are in constant conversation. They are constantly chattering to one another, very much like three Cub Scouts in a tent. Um, by the way, I've been a Boy Scout leader since God's been a Boy Scout, and I've got to tell you something. Uh, it is very hard to uh, quiet little <laughs> young gentlemen when they are camping in, in a tent. They will just constantly chatter. It's kind of cute, except when you're trying to get to sleep. Okay, so the purpose of the immune system, as you might gather, <clears throat> the basic function of the immune system is to fight off infections and increase the quality of life by keeping people healthy. We depend on the immune system to literally do that. And I kind of think that some of the manipulations we've been doing of the immune system may not actually be helping us. Hmm, I'm wondering. It guards us against germs and microorganisms by attacking them when they invade the body. Well, our immune system has several parts, okay? There is basically the innate and the acquired. The innate immune system is a passive immunity to prevent infection. And these are things like the skin, the mucous membranes, um, the pH of the stomach, stomach acids, and the flushing action of urine and tears. Uh, the blood-borne immunity that's innate, <clears throat> its goal is the death of dangerous organisms and the direct killing of bacteria. And um, when I read that, I said, hmm, that sounds like something a Klingon warrior would say. And um, since many of you that I've had the pleasure of working with have the warrior gene, I figured I would treat you to a Klingon phrase that I just looked up in the Klingon translator, and it is Yes, I do speak Klingon. I can read the words. <laughs> and that, of course, is death to dangerous organisms. Uh, Klingons are big on death. 
Anyway, there is uh, an, a humoral, a complement cascade that creates antibodies. And in the innate human, um, blood-borne immunity, uh, there are cellular defenses, and there are phagocytes, macrophages, basophils, eosinophils, natural killer cells. Okay, and these are just will attack any invader that comes by, invader that comes by. And believe it or not, we have an acquired immunity system, which will measure, look, and respond to specific antigens. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. We've talked about it before when we talked about the leaky gut syndrome, but we'll talk about it again. <clears throat> now listen, the immune system in and of itself is a really complex system. And uh, there's numerous parts. You'll see little uh, indicators for it. But really what you need to know, okay, unless you're, you, know, you really want to engage in a um, very deep discussion, is generally how things work. And then how to fix certain things becomes kind of obvious, okay? Uh, so we're going to talk about the physical, chemical, and biological barriers. The physical barrier being skin, mucosa, mucocutaneous junctions. Those are the where the mouth, the lips meet the mouth, okay? And areas like that where uh, the body develops um, a thick mucosa to try and trap enemies like toxins, uh, xenobiotics, which are invading organisms, dietary peptides, and so forth. We talked about that, we talked about that a lot uh, when we talked about leaky gut syndrome. Now, we have chemical barriers, okay? Uh, we have uh, in the stomach, obviously, is a very, very low pH, okay? In other words, it's very acidic, okay? It is, has the acidic of hydrochloric acid, which is what it is. Okay, in the vaginal area is more acidic, okay, because that area would be prone to infection and lots of times when uh, ladies take um, hormonal preparations or something changes the pH of the area, they become prone to uh, bacterial vaginitis or yeast infections. So they're messing with, not intentionally of course, people are messing with uh, the acidity of an area. There are fatty acid secretions and so forth. Uh, the biological barrier, okay, on our skin and in our gut, we have bacterial agents, the biota, okay, and I'm going to show you a picture a little later about what the skin looks like, okay, if you were to look really, 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 really close. There are microorganisms on your skin, okay. Our saliva acts as a physical barrier, and urine and tears actually flush things out, and, um, most ladies realize that if they simply sit to urinate, it tilts the, uh, tilts the bladder back and there's some residual urine in the area, okay, that if you don't learn to empty the bladder completely, okay, any microorganisms that uh, get up in there uh, can start festering. Okay, so one of the things that um, all young women learn is to uh, tilt their pelvis forward so that they can empty their bladder completely. Okay, let's look at the skin, which is on page 8. The skin has a unique protective layer, okay, called a keratin layer, otherwise known as cornified epithelium. What's that all about? Well, when we were amphibious and we decided to live on land, we had to prevent ourselves from losing all kinds of fluids. So our body put uh, down scales, essentially, okay, and they're made out of keratin so that water can't get out and can't get in, okay? But 
what does make skin better? Various types of creams. Uh, and here is one of the ways of protecting yourself is to use good quality uh, skin creams that hydrate the skin. Okay, be careful of some of them. They have formaldehyde in them. And um, you might, uh, I'll be doing some um, blogging about essential oils and um, various substances that you can use on your skin to make it more healthy, and um, which is your major initial protection. You, saw the, you see the um, example of psoriasis there, and uh, psoriasis makes the skin scale and plaque off, okay, inflames the skin and opens everything up for infection. We also have resident microbes on our skin, okay, and uh, they're supposed to be there. Okay, they do a little bit of protection for us. <clears throat> when your immune system is shut down completely, they can be the cause of opportunistic infections, but they're there, okay, and um, the reason I tell you this is, is not because I want to seem smart, but what's the one thing that's been going on, I, I know there's many challenges to our immune system, but I think one of the bigger challenges that we have faced over that we've brought upon ourselves is the use of that antibacterial products that takes away uh, the normal amount of microorganisms that we get exposed to. And I think that actually weakens our immune system. I think without the quote-unquote practice that this would afford the immune system that progressively we've gotten our, we've made our immune system weaker. Now, I realize that goes against a lot of, um, a lot of uh, you know, thought processes out there, but um, it makes sense to me. Okay? We're actually using in our homes what used to be considered uh, industrial-strength cleaners. That I find suspect. Okay? We've got a lot of other challenges to our immune system, but <clears throat> in the physical barriers, uh, we're making ourselves, I think, sicker by using antibacterial uh, formulas, soaps, and so forth. Uh, I don't think we're doing ourselves any favor. If anybody wants to laugh, uh, I couldn't put this on because it was too, shall we say, raunchy. <laughs> uh, George Carlin has a wonderful uh, ditty that he does on the immune system, and he talks about being a kid in the 1940s when uh, polio was a, was a big problem, and he was kind of a poor kid in New York City, and they swam in the Hudson River, which was filled with raw sewage, you know, to cool off. And uh, he talks about his immune system getting plenty of practice, and uh, kids in his neighborhood didn't get polio. That's kind of interesting. Okay, so innate chemical, the mucosal barrier. This is what we were talking about when we were talking about leaky gut syndrome. We talked about the the mucosa of the gut, the mucus layer, okay, and the structure of uh, the cells, the little the brush border that you're seeing there. <clears throat> and this is your natural barrier from the outside. Remember, the GI system is exposed to the outside from the front to the back. So the purpose of all this immune system here and the purpose of the mucus layer and the um, the tight junctions between cells and so forth is to protect us from the outside, okay? And between toxins and stress, big time on stress, okay, and our lifestyles, the way we've had it, fast foods and so forth, we chew up the mucus layer, we injure the cells, the cells release cytokines, white blood cells get in there, tear 
the place apart, okay, trying to clean it, okay, what ends up happening is a lot of antigens get through the gut, interact with the pyrus patches, and we start producing a ton of antibodies. Okay, this has led to immune upregulation and then eventually immune dysregulation, and many of you are finding this to be true based on the fact that when you start getting chronic inflammation, you start getting autoimmune diseases and dysautonomia and stuff like that. It all starts with this innate chemical. This is your passive immune system. Also in the innate immune system, which is on page 10, okay, we have the bloodborne, the people in your blood that are keeping you safe. Okay, and uh, the first one, these don't have a memory. These just go after dangerous organisms. And uh, these are the phagocytes, the people who eat the bad guys. Okay, there's neutrophils who uh, digest enemies, macrophages that eat cellular debris. Basophils may release histamine, and histamine is usually a bad thing in a large amount, but it is used in the immune system to protect you. <clears throat> Eosinophils go after parasites. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you get a complete blood count and your eosinophil, your EOS, EOS, or your eosinophils are high, think parasites, okay? And then, of course, we have natural killer cells that go after viruses, okay? So we have innate microorganisms that go after cellular invaders or other, any other kind of invaders. And these release cytokines. Cytokines are the biomarkers of the immune system. Okay, they attract white blood cells. Think of them like this. Remember E.T.? You see him right there. He really liked Reese's Pieces because the little girl would put Reese's Pieces down and he would follow her into the house. And I think the Reese's Pieces people <laughs> enjoyed a, uh, a real upswing in their, um, in their sales after that movie. But think of uh, injury to any cell releasing cytokines as throwing out a bunch of Reese's Pieces and, the cytokine, and those are cytokines, and the white blood cells are looking for the rhesus pieces, and that's exactly how they know where to go. They look for the cytokine gradient, and they attack who's ever invading the body. And the white blood cells are circulating. They sit in the walls. Okay, that's, so you, some people talk about demargination, where they come out of the margins and they just attack. Okay, but the cytokines are what make them attack. We also have the complement system, which is uh, not a cellular system, but this system of molecules will um, lead to a sequence of events that essentially create antibodies. Okay, and that's the way that <clears throat> we fight a lot of um, antigens which are not actual cells. Okay, there's a reference there for you guys to look at. And my favorite, boy, I'm talking real fast tonight. I've got to slow down. Okay. We have an acquired or adaptive immune system. This is very, very, very cool. Okay, in other words, our immune system has a section that can actually set itself up against specific invaders. Okay, the moral part of it, the antibodies, is called B-cell immunity. <clears throat> and it gets its name from the bursa of Fabricus. Sounds like something out of the Roman Empire. Okay, this bursa is only found in birds, near the butt, by the way, in case you're interested. Uh, and another reason, it's called a B cell. Whereas uh, the T cells, which you've heard tell of, which is cell-mediated immunity, gets its name from the thymus gland, which is directly under your sternum or breastbone. 
And uh, by the way, uh, there's a, an old method of stimulating the thymus gland by tapping on it or pounding on it. And um, John Diamond, uh, MD, way back in the 70s, shows you how old I am, uh, found the connection between tapping on the thymus and um, fixing certain emotional problems. Okay, because uh, acupuncture-wise, that was the entry into the body of bad emotions, and you could tap, okay, and think of certain things. This is one of the therapies that he he thought up, and um, get rid of what that thought was doing to your body. Uh, and also, that's what when people were sad and um, they were contrite, and they would tap on their breastbone, going mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. Um, I think they were stimulating their immune system by doing that. Humoral immunity. Uh, antigens get into the body. Okay, we talked about that with the leaky gut. Okay, and um, the, the gut, the skin, the respiratory system, and these mysterious-looking lymphoblasts take over. Well, that's kind of what they look like when I put them there. But I think they look mysterious. They look like something out of a Sherlock Holmes movie. Anyway, the lymphoblast starts dividing and making clothes, clones of its original naive cells. Finally, dividing cells differentiate into what they call effector cells, and these things can be plasma cells for B cells, cytotoxic T cells, and helper T cells. So when your body sees these invaders coming, it takes basically a stem cell and starts differentiating it into something that will fight. And this is all done under cytokine control. When you look at page 13, I said simpler, I guess not. What happens here, if you remember our talk about the um, leaky gut, is that the antigen-presenting cell, the APC there, which is a macrophage, will chew up the antigen and hand it to a naive T cell, which is also known as a CD4 cell. Okay, and depending on the cytokines that are in the area, and the cytokines are things like IFN gamma, tissue necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-4, interleukin-5, that's why I say it gets... It can get nutty at this point because if you're starting to think about interleukins and you know tissue growth factors and stuff like that, it's, it's easy to just remember them as cytokines. Okay, the type of cytokines will stimulate the naive T cell into developing one of these types of antibodies, which are you know the Th1, Th2, Th17, and Treg. So um, it's interesting. Your body does this all by itself, you know, and you're not. Not doing anything, and it does it by its lonesome. So we have the adaptive immune system that goes after cells that attack us. Okay, They release whole T cells to kill cells that are infected with a virus or otherwise damaged. So we have a system whereby our bodies will go after cellular invaders or our cells that have been compromised and destroy them and the cells that destroy cellular invaders are made up of helper T cells uh, suppressor T cells cytotoxic T cells which are like natural killer cells except they will recognize a specific antigen but this is all pretty complicated so I like to call the cytotoxic T cell the Mr. T cell and Mr. T cell uh, pity the fool who messes with this immune system now, you guys are both, most of you guys are around my age, so we all remember who Mr. T is. 
Okay, and he would be, he's the perfect example of the T killer cell. I hope you guys are laughing. I can't hear any laughing out there. Anyway, there is a secret. Mr. T needs glasses. Okay, he needs help finding a fool who's attacking the immune system. So, he also can get kind of upset. We don't like to see when Mr. T gets upset. So, enter the T helper cell and the T suppressor cell. The T helper cell helps Mr. T find the offending invader so he can do what must be done, which is the death of body cells that are infected with a virus or otherwise damaged. The T suppressor cell calms Mr. T when he gets upset. You know, they go out for drinks, get something to eat, whatever. Okay? And the T cell system works as a team, okay, to help the body. And when a team is messed up, okay, things are gonna, think bad things are going to happen. So kind of let me introduce you to the team. And you can see here that we have the Mr. T cell, the T suppressor cell, and the T helper cell. Okay, and Hannibal, he who likes to see a plan come together, if anybody remembers the A-team, okay? But we work as a team. And frankly, I don't think this Hannibal is kind of true. I think the other Hannibal would... Uh, a census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. A census taker once tried what? to test me. <laughs> Okay, that's what I get for hitting the button twice. Anyway, so in con- I'm sorry, I got through this in 20 minutes. I wasn't planned on it, but that's the way it went. Okay, but um, what you kind of have to realize about the immune system is that you can treat a lot of things by helping the innate immune system by uh, keeping yourself healthy, keeping your skin, the mucocutaneous junctions, and the mucus layers, they're all there to stop antigens coming in, stop cellular invaders, okay? And if the invaders do get through, okay, we have a system that will go after them. They will produce antibodies. The problem is, is that when the innate systems are compromised, there's too many antigens getting in, too many memory cells being created, and too much immune response. And it's not a weakened immune system. It's an overused and upregulated immune system that starts out giving us the problems. Okay, so they're reacting to everything. So you get this major upregulation. You get immune hyperactivity. Then you get immune dysregulation. And that's where autoimmunity and dysautonomia and so forth come in. Beyond that, after, if the body's fighting many, many infections, okay, which can take place or get take root because we're allowing them, not we're allowing them, but they've been allowed to to invade our guts and so forth, okay, that's when our immune system starts having to divide up its men and this, there's so many battlefronts going on that there's just simply not enough to keep you healthy. So that's when you start getting... Um, tests where you start seeing low immunity and um, 
the way we treat that is by fixing as best we can all the parameters of the immune system that we can get our hands on or that we can easily or competently fix. Again, this is why I'm forever talking about leaky gut. Or if you go to any um, alternative medicine person, you'll be talking about leaky gut all the time because that's the first thing they should be treating. Um, well, I'm open for uh, questions and answers now. <laughs> okay. I didn't mean for this to be so quick, but guess what? Okay. I'd really like to answer some questions if you had them. Uh, if you have uh, questions, call 646-595-2277, and I'll be happy to answer uh, any questions about the uh, basic immune system. Anybody out there got questions? Please. <laughs> A lot of people ask me, how do you go about strengthening the immune system? Okay. Um, I don't really think that it's a matter of strengthening the immune system. I think it's often a matter of balancing it. It's the same thing with neurotransmitters, okay? Uh, you look at some of the testing, and you want to go after the lows and knock down the highs, and that's just not the way to think about it. You have to think of a balance, okay? If you have not enough inhibition, you're going to have what looks like high excitation, okay, because there's just not enough inhibition to counterbalance. It's the same thing in the immune system. If you have a bunch of infections already, if you have Lyme and anaplasma and um, various infections that are, and viral loads that are, you know, which I often see, the way to go after that is to fix up whatever you can control, which would be the gut and, you know, any other entry points, okay, so that at least you're taking away uh, consistent entry of antigens into the system, okay? Uh, somebody's calling. I'm glad. Hi, from the 239 area code. This is Dr. Armine. How are you? Yeah, hey, Dr. Armine. Uh, thanks for uh, all you do. I really appreciate it. Um, well, thank you. I've been listening, been listening here. Um, I had a Pharmason test done a while back that showed mm -hmm. that... Uh, I was Th1 dominant. Could you talk a little bit about that? Is that something that I need to be concerned about, Th1 as opposed to Th2? And are there any uh, corrections for that that you recommend? Your your, um, your question is really well taken. Uh, the I was just saying that one needs to balance the immune system. Okay, so when you're Th1 dominant, you're pushing heavy on the T cells, and you don't have enough antibodies. So what you really need to do is look for Th1, Th2 balance. That can be achieved uh, when um, Pharmason Labs, which is also the Neuroscience Corporation, had a yeah. uh, GI repair kit, okay? And what that consisted of was uh, the barrier repair, which was uh, various fibers that easily became mucus, okay? As I remember, is like organic prickly pear, marshmallow, a couple of other things. <clears throat> then they had the GI, um, the cellular repair, which was um, consisted of zinc, uh, carnosine, and, uh, and I just can't call it up in my brain at the moment. Uh, I use other substances, but the purpose of what they were using, same as me, was to reestablish uh, the tight junctions between the cells. 
And then they had um, they did a bunch of research, and it was very good research, where they had um, they had a product called uh, Recolonize One, which was a Th1 suppressor, if you will. It was a bunch of microorganisms that they found would have an effect on the immune system, and it was things like lact- lactobacillus rhamnosus and you know, again, I can't call it up right off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. And you would use that for about a month, and then you would go to a different probiotic that had lactobacillus acidophilus and a few other things in there, and that would balance Th1, Th2 system. Uh, it's all a matter of uh, should you be concerned about that? Well, that kind of depends. You know, are you having a, a lot of symptoms? Are you are you ill? <clears throat> yes. What are you fighting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been I've, I've been chronically ill for a long time, fifteen okay. years, and and recently uh, turns out uh, chronic Lyme that I've been you know being treated for um, uh, mostly with uh, IV vitamin C, and I'm I've also recently started the PK protocol. Mm-hmm. So, well, so here's, um, a, here's the thing. That's, well, you you sound like you're doing good things, and when you have the high dose vitamin C. It has uh, wonderful effects in supporting supporting the immune system, supporting the adrenals. Uh, vitamin C is one of the best adaptogens that we have available to us. It's not like a vitamin that goes directly to one place. It goes throughout the body and, and where it's needed, and it will support a significant um, portion of the immune system, the adrenals, yada, 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 yada. Uh, the... <clears throat> It, other things that can go in a, an IV like that can be uh, glutathione. Okay, glutathione is your master antioxidant and antitoxicant. Okay, often... Yeah, I, um, I, have, I have a little trouble with the glutathione because I have, I'm, I'm hetero on the CBS all the way down the line and I'm uh, I'm totally blocked up on the BHMT. So, well, um, uh, the CBS can be easily trouble. cared for. Okay, yeah, and, um, and then the BHMT, uh, generally speaking... Um, Depending, you can use either betaine, high betaine foods, or trimethylglycine. Uh, and, and again, that should be done with somebody who knows what they're doing. It's, uh, you can overmethylate rather easily, so you have to be careful. The uh, CBS pathway, you also need to be careful with because we've been finding that when people get it too aggressive with that, you can go into a negative sulfur balance and cause even more problems. Okay? So, be uh, again, you should work with somebody who um, who understands these things. And remember that the Lyme is the major offender blocking or filling up the pathways. So, you know, the, um, you know, when you talk about your immune system overload, okay, getting at the root cause of it is the best way to treat it. And um, then, you know, part of that is fixing the gut and, you know, I very much believe in the TH1, TH2 balance. It's uh, something I don't talk about an awful lot. I simply treat it because it gets a little complicated. And if you start reading uh, a lot of different testing, sometimes the testing contradicts itself. So uh, I do know that if you fix your gut, you'll stop a lot of immune, a lot of immune problems because they just simply won't be constantly being assaulted the immune system think of that as the in 1950s when we invaded north korea and the chinese came over the border okay <laughs> millions of people you know it was easy enough to take care of it when it was just the north koreans but once the chinese got in it was a t- it was a tough um 
it was a tough war to fight. Uh, if you fix your gut up, if you shore up the gut, uh, you can prevent a lot of the um, enemy soldiers from reinforcing um, reinforcing the attackers, or the, I'm sorry, reinforcing the, inf uh, the infection, which is what it's doing. Yeah, that, that's kind of what we're focusing on right now, and I'm, I'm also, uh, my doc is using phosphatidylcholine and uh, liposteville. Mm -hmm. I, don't know, I don't know if you're a fan of those at all. To I'm try and help. You know, the phosphatidylcholine, um, which the PK protocol, um, which for those people out there means uh, Patricia Kane, who is um, a PhD who uh, kind of pioneered the um, essential fatty acids and cell membrane repair, as a matter of fact, Sean and I are going to be taking that seminar uh, in April, okay, to um, to add to our knowledge base. But uh, we go, we do the same thing using different products, of course, but we have the same intention of stabilizing the cell walls. And in order to do that, you need phospholipids because all the cell membranes are phospholipid bilayers. Uh, sometimes you have to be really super aggressive about it. Sometimes you have to you know, use a little bit of legendomain, and that's where liposomal vitamin C comes in sometimes because it's got the sunflower lecithin, which is a combination of phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylethanolamine, phosphatidylinositol, okay? And some people do very, very well on it. People with really damaged cells, widespread, probably need the PK protocol. Um, I start a little gently first and then work my way up. If you have neuropsychiatric problems, uh, you got to be careful with phosphatidylcholine because it can raise dopamine, and that can uh, cause um, uh, hallucinations or paranoia or just general worsening of the condition. So you don't use the heavy guns first. You, you go in and you start rebuilding the cell walls uh, a little bit at a time and, and bring it up slowly depending on, you know, what products you're using. But it sounds like you're working with somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, he's 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 uh he's pretty major league and uh, he's been doing this you know for a while and uh, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy so far. I've made I have made right. a little progress after many years of. of you know, I will tell you something about approaching things from that manner, and and this is something that everybody should listen to. Um, I've had this question like three or four times the past couple of days. Uh, you know, do you treat Lyme? Well, really, I don't treat Lyme. I treat your body. Okay, I give your body the ability to fight the Lyme or give your body the ability so that when you do treat the Lyme, uh, it'll be successful. And um, this is what Sean does. He works with a Lyme literate doctor in New Jersey. And uh, that particular physician has Sean work on their guts and work on their cell membranes and so forth and the neurotransmitters and getting everything as um, strengthened up as it can, as balanced as, it, as they can so that... Uh, when they go after the Lyme itself, the body doesn't break down. Uh, what's been happening, and I understand that the, I understand from Sean that they're getting better results, much better results. What I often hear is, um, I will get a patient who says, "I have Lyme, I have multiple co-infections, and so forth," and they've been treated with, you know, one antibiotic after another, one treatment after another, not getting better. Okay, there's two reasons for that. Number one, you may not be hitting the right nail on the head. But, and, but if you are, you often are not treating the person's cells, their mitochondrial function, um, their various pathways, so they have no way of getting better. So the microorganisms have done damage. Okay, the damage manifests in symptoms. 
So it doesn't matter how many times you try and kill the bugs, unless you fix what the bugs did to the body, they will continually manifest those symptoms. And that's kind of backwards in my estimation, but it's been the method that it's been that the treatment has happened over the many years. So, yeah, what we've promulgated is a little bit of common sense and doing exactly what your doctor's doing, you know, going after the cell cell membranes, starting to, um, you know, shore up the body by fixing up the gut and balancing the uh, biota in the gut and so and so forth. And guess what? I think you're going to be more successful. You're going to decrease that inflammation that's caused their chronic illness, you know, from uh, day one. All right, Dave, thanks a lot, Doc. I don't want to monopolize your time. There's probably other people Oh, that's waiting. okay. Nobody else is asking questions yet. <laughs> but, uh, um, um, take care. Go ahead. All right, thanks a lot. Have a good night. I right. appreciate your help. You too. Man. Not a problem. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Um, anybody else have some questions like to call in? Okay. So as we were, uh, as I was just saying with a nice gentleman, <clears throat> that the way to go after fixing the immune system or helping it or shoring it up or balancing it or whatever words you want to use is by paying attention to the way the immune system can be dysfunctional. Okay, and that is exactly why I took this approach, talking about uh, the innate immune system, you know, the skin, the, the mucous membranes, uh, and look at, you know, we can't do anything about the white blood cells, but if you can stop the invasion through the skin, through the mucous membranes, okay, you're going to take that particular load off the immune system. And what I've been telling people lately is think of your immune system as an army corps, okay, so that if it has to go into a country and then spread itself out because there's so many battles going on, you can't commit as many men to the battle. But once you start decreasing the amount of <clears throat> decreasing the amount of uh, enemy in the battle, then the immune system or the general can start reconstructing, okay, or reassigning the men. So that now your immune system will start working again. So I have another person with a bunch of ones. Hmm. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. How are you? Hi, Dr. Armine. I got a question about. Um you know, we hear so much about bromines, amines, halines, fluorides. Could you talk, and we, talk a little about? Talk a little louder. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. Yes. Um, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Thank you. Okay. Um, I I have some questions about when people start detoxing or getting methylation pathways working. Um, we hear things like. Uh, if people have been fluoride poisoned and then they start uh, detoxing bromide, amines, and all these other weird um, whatever factors, how do, you, how do we handle, once we get a lot of the stuff moving, we get the gut going, what happens to all those toxins? Do we just start moving them out? or? Yeah, it the you actually... You know, your question is really, really well taken. Let me put this in a, on a conceptual basis. Uh, if your immune system is working so hard just to keep you alive and just keep you from, think of a Mexican standoff. It's just fighting as many battles as it can, but it's just, you know, able to do one or two, you know, it's not really winning the war. <clears throat> it's just preventing, uh, you know, 
preventing you from being overwhelmed, uh, which is, by the way, what happens in HIV. The um, immune system is overwhelmed by infection. Uh, what happens when you start um, fixing the gut and, you know, attending to the detoxification pathways, okay, um, and that's mostly by, you know, giving the body what it needs to work, like high-dose vitamin C, you know, the uh, liposomal vitamin C, you know, in really high doses, because that's the way, you know, vitamin C only works in very high doses. Okay, there's going to be a certain amount of detoxification or a, an allowing of detoxification to happen. Okay, and here's where you have to be careful. Uh, your body will detoxify if it has the energy to do so, Okay, it has the wherewithal to do it. In other words, if it has glutathione, if it has patent detoxification pathways, it will do what it's supposed to do. Now, the art of this is to do it in a manner that doesn't make the person feel so bad that you make them even sicker. Okay, because some people I've seen in doing detox programs that they become deathly ill. Okay, and the doctor thinks that that's a good idea. I don't think that stress on the adrenals is a very good idea in that manner. You should be taking... Uh, you know, cautions to, um, you know, work with somebody individually and, their, and uh, you know, manage their ability to detox. Yes, your body will detoxify uh, metals. It will detoxify fluorines and bromines and stuff like that. It's just going to take time to do it. And uh, the best thing for you to do is to work on those areas that you can control and you know, start decreasing inflammation in the body. And a lot of people um, are going, you know, the medical system is really going after inflammation these days. Okay, finally. Uh, I, have my, I have my things with the medical guys when they come up with, we're going after inflammation. I start yawning and saying, we've been doing that for years. <laughs> you know, okay. Yeah. Or I went, to a, I went to a meeting one time um, here in Philadelphia, and the uh, head of uh, Jefferson's Integrative Medicine was there, and, she was, uh, you know, you know, strutting and talking about the relationship between the gut and the immune system, and I was getting red-faced, angry. Like three years ago, you laughed at me, <laughs> okay, right. and and now you're just like you just discovered something, or you know, the um, use of fish oils, and now all of a sudden they have Levesa. Yeah, come on, guys. You know, five years ago you were laughing at us. Okay, so cut it out. You know, the evidence was there. You were simply ignoring it. Uh, so. I urge you to not worry about a, a lot of the extraneous things that you have a little or no control over, okay, and start working on the bigger fronts. Work on the gut, okay? Work on um, those areas that you really can control, the uh, cell wall stability, the uh, mitochondrial function, okay? And then the body is going to start working the way it's supposed to. Now. You know, there's certain people that say, oh, we should chelate, we should detox, 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 chelate. Blah, blah, blah. Mm, some people aren't ready for that. Not with the Lyme patient. Chelation doesn't tell me about it. do well. <laughs> well, remember, Lyme is not a benign, I mean, I'm sorry, chelation is not a benign process. Okay, right. when you chelate out, you know, you think you're chelating out mercury, you're chelating out a lot of stuff, and a lot of stuff that your right. body needs to work. Okay, so if you look at it from a broader perspective, if you and I, I know I keep harping on the gut, and I, but it's the biggest producer of inflammation. Okay, if you start really working on it, and uh, with somebody who's knowledgeable, and I've got to tell you that I review a lot of cases, and a lot of people out there simply don't know how to fix a gut. 
okay? And right. then some of it's intravenous, some of it's, you know, but most of it can be done orally. You'd be surprised. You know, you give your body back the wherewithal to fight, it will do it. You start thinking about acquired mitochondrial dysfunction, okay? Uh, a lot of people th- don't think that, that, can, that the mitochondria can be, quote-unquote, rebooted. It can. We've done it, especially with our Floxy patients, okay? Mm-hmm. We've done it numerous times. And I don't care what the detractors say, okay, you know, this works. It's going to work. People are going to get better. And to get better, you need patent detoxification pathways that are not overloaded. You need a good methylation transsulfation pathway to produce glutathione, okay, and to methylate, which is important for your DNA. And you need a good energy pathway to create ATP. Okay, so guess what? You know, that's the broader view you start doing that you start shoring up the um, the cell membranes everything begins to work okay mm-hmm. and once things start working then you start healing why because you're hardwired to do it okay yeah. and the biggest problem i've noticed is that people tend to take things not people when i said i'm actually talking about healthcare practitioners except i want to be able to get out of my office without being chased tonight you know i get chased a lot you know these guys wait outside and like what did you say i'm like calm down calm down you know uh, but seriously, uh, your body's made to heal itself, okay? If you simply look at it in a, in a broader sense and not look at, oh, let's just take care of this little piece and that little piece and this little piece, which is why Sean and I created Bioindividualized Medicine, which is basically a fancy word for making healthcare providers look at the epigenetics, look at the combination of neurology, endocrinology, immunology, and its relationships, look at the function of the mitochondria, and look at the cell walls and their uh, integrity, and fix them by intention. You are going to give the body back its ability to heal. Gee, what a concept. (laughs) And the funny thing is, nobody's doing it. They'll treat the Lyme, but well, they won't treat I, the body. We find, in, we find in the Lyme patients also that, um, you know, we're very high, I don't know what the word would be called, um, are in, in MDA antagonists um, mm-hmm. cells are, like, hyperactive. And that's why we're in so much pain. That's why medications like Clonopan or Magnesium work so well. So when you have that, is it the glutamate um, glutamate and gluta, whatever the other one is, um, dysfunction, imbalance. That's how part of the gut then, isn't it? Yeah, GABA. Yeah. It's, um, the... Glutamate and GABA come from glutamine. Okay, glutamine is an amino acid, and it will first create glutamate and then create GABA, and it's one of the body's balancing mechanisms that if you need excitation, it will produce glutamate. If you need um, inhibition, it will produce GABA. But in, in the and, and that for some reason that I'm that I um I'll be honest, I don't understand that uh when the body has a lot of pro inflammatory cytokines going on, it tends to lean towards the glutamate side. Another thing that happens mm-hmm. is the tryptophan that you absorb <clears throat> will instead of creating uh five hydroxy tryptophan then serotonin then melatonin, uh in the in the um face of a lot of pro inflammatory cytokines will create chirenic acid, will go down chirenic um pathway, which creates chirenic and quinolinic acid which upregulate the NMDA receptors. Okay, and that can okay. cause more excitation, pain, so forth and so on. And there are and based on, you know, and looking at the epigenetics you can say, okay, you know, when this person upregulates or dysregulates, they're going to go down these paths because these paths are compromised to begin with, so they can't handle the load. They can't handle the traffic. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that gives you predictive and treatment guidance. Okay, okay. Uh, it is a capital mistake in my estimation to treat SNPs by themselves. Okay, right. you must treat the person and realize that your epigenome that we're looking at in a 23andMe has been there since you've been born. Okay, you haven't changed. You haven't created different genes, okay? They're there, and it's all a matter of how much they're loaded and um, did one of them crash or, you know, you'll see it just by taking a history. <clears throat> and then, again, broadly, if you get that person to, to not be so inflamed, okay, and you can do that by fixing the reason for the inflammation or parts of the reasons, okay, and also giving them certain, you know, you know, herbal anti-inflammatories, things that help. You know, some Band-Aids, things that we call Band-Aids, it's honorable to use a Band-Aid, okay, as mm -hmm. long as you look to stop the bleeding. The problem uh, mm -hmm. arises when you use Band-Aids as a primary treatment, uh, primary treatment, and I think that that's unconscionable myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Did you see so, the latest study that just came out? I can't remember what university, but... Um, of course, we've all known this, but for um, POTS and dysautonomia, that um, it's a new study that just came out now. I'm totally forgetting what they that, Oh, that, of course, they're very low in B12, and we're all going, duh. <laughs> <sighs> duh. We've, we've Listen, been trying to tell that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough because, you know, um, here's and the it's difference all about between the adrenals, too. Of course. Uh, here's the problem between researchers and clinicians, and I'm, I'm about to have a nice conversation uh, this week with um, some uh, people at a corporation that I, uh, a research corporation that I admire and have an, uh, have great respect and great regard for. But I want to let them know that the difference between being a clinician and being a researcher is as follows: When you're a researcher and you do, you know, primary research, you try and cut out all variables so that you can okay. study one thing. Then you give me the information and say, okay, we found this. I'm like, thank you very much. Now I have to apply it to somebody with innumerable variables. Okay, it makes it very, very difficult. You need to get a middle ground between research and clinical application. Because sometimes okay. they're, they don't go together. So, oh, B12 can cause this. So that doesn't mean you attack everybody with B12. Yes, no, we know that's that very dangerous for some of us. Exactly, and that's why testing just MTHFR, as a lot of doctors do, and you can always tell when a doctor doesn't know what they're talking about because they don't know what MTHFR means. They'll call it the mother-father gene or they'll call it something else, okay, but they don't know that it means methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, and they don't know where it goes in the pathways. So they'll right. say, oh, well, you need 5-methylfolate. I'm like, yeah, really? How do you know that? Okay. Uh, you have to be able to look at everything and say, gee, this is why the serum B12 is through the roof, but the cellular B12 is low. It's not getting through. You might need some lithium. You, know, you have to look at everything, and mm -hmm. it all comes down to inflammation. You know, this is where you're going to keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it. Mm -hmm. Okay, inflammation, long-term inflammation, in my opinion, okay, causes things like dysautonomia, which includes POTS, which includes insulin dysregulation, blood pressure dysregulation, um, cardiac dysregulation, all kinds of things that are, that are occurring from the autonomic nervous system. In my estimation, long-term inflammation does that by, if you will, making the receptors dysfunctional. Okay? It happens, I've noticed, over time, 
uh, as I've been consulting with people, I notice that people don't get dysautonomia all at once. They'll have a long history of various infections, just we'll call it inflammation. It starts many years, and as it builds up, okay, over time, and as, as it's not treated, and as the gut gets worse, and as more inflammation comes in, that's when the dysautonomic sy- symptoms begin. Of course, unless you take a really good history, and I spent a good hour, hour and a half on a history, okay, you're never going to see that pattern. You're going to treat right. POTS as if it were a thing. POTS is a description. Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, big deal. Okay, now you've described symptoms. Thank you very much. Okay, now tell me why. And you see, you know, you see the, the uh, people doing the diagnosis go cross-eyed. Okay, mm-hmm. people have to stop thinking of themselves as diagnoses, and they have to stop treating these alleged diagnoses because a diagnosis should be an estimate of what the root cause is, not a set of symptoms. Okay, now mm-hmm. I know you all know that, and this has been the whole reason that since I started this blog, I went from what is a diagnosis, and here we are tying it together. And you've helped me do that very much, and I appreciate that very, very, very sincerely. Uh, but the reality is, if we're ever going to cure chronic illness, if ever we're going to make any uh, any progress or get any traction, we have to treat the body as a whole and look at the various parameters that we've stated so that, you know, the body will simply do what it's hardwired to do, okay? But what's been going on is that chronic illness has been allowed to flourish by doctors, and I, and I mean this angrily, by doctors treating little portions, okay, treating things, you know, out of context. And that's, a, that's secondary to what's happened since the 1960s. Before 1960, if you had a family doctor, they ran the case. Okay, if they sent you to a specialist, you'd go to the specialist. Specialists would barely talk to you, but would call your doctor because your doctor mm-hmm. knew you, knew your family, knew everything about you, knew how you would react and so forth, and he or she was the one that took care of you, took the responsibility of caring for you, and yes, guess what? It was, you know, somebody you can count on. He was a generalist. And then in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, there was this big push towards speciality. I said that like a British person with a Brooklyn accent. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's his specialties. And the generalists will look down upon. So now we have a bunch of people who Okay, we have a bunch of people who went into specialties. Okay, then uh, they were taught via algorithms. I remember being in school and people walking around with these big books in their pockets. You know, they were called little brown spirals. Okay, and guess what? They were, um, you know, they were taught to read and to follow algorithms. Now, those algorithms have now become standards of care. So if you right. deviate from the algorithms, all of a sudden, you're not, we're not following the standard of care, and that opens up malpractice, that opens up being, having your license in danger. So we have a whole bevy of physicians who only treat diagnoses based on insurance company algorithms, okay, a big pharma algorithms, and right. they're not built to get you better. They no, are built and then to the patients, patients, we all have supplements that we could open our own pharmacies with that don't work. Right. And then, unfortunately, even the alternative medicine people, follow, like uh, the alternative uh, people who do alternative medicine like, can- like cancer treatment, they're looking for herbal uh, chemotherapeutic agents. That's not the way you should be treating it. You should, you got to think of cancer like the mosquitoes over a stagnant lake. Okay. 
you can kill the mosquitoes. I'm going to extend the episode once once it gives me the opportunity to do so. So hopefully I don't cut anybody off. Otherwise, I'll be talking to myself. What else is now? <laughs> Hang out a second. Let me see if I can do this without destroying everything. Um, hey, guys. Maybe it's continuing. Can you still hear me? It looks like it is, yeah. Okay, well, you know something? I um, It doesn't say here, so... Um, oh, wait, now if so... All right, I'll continue. Mm. I'll continue. I don't know what it says. Okay. Um, anyway, um, so just to finish the thought, hopefully. Um, I don't know. What, I, I don't see where how one uh, continues the episode. But... Um, Anyway, I'll continue with you, if that's okay. The way that you treat cancer is, uh, or support the treatment of cancer is to treat the lake, not the, um, not the mosquitoes above the lake, because uh, you can kill the mosquitoes as much as you want. They're going to keep coming back. But if you uh, oxygenate the lake, you know, if you uh, normalize the pH of the lake and the balance of uh, you know, the life in the lake, you, you, that, pers- that lake won't be producing as many mosquitoes. Okay, and what is the one thing that doesn't happen in cancer therapy? They don't treat the body. They treat, they try and kill the cancer, and they're almost killing people. You know, so. Anyway, this is the same idea. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'm on or not, but (laughs) anyway, everyone have a good week, and uh, hopefully I'll see you next week. Take care.